Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Cure. Today, Dr. Takia Hurd joins us from the North Shore Neurological Institute. She is the Division Head of Pediatric Neurology and Epilepsy, where she treats a wide range of neurological conditions and specializes in epilepsy. In this episode, Dr. Hurd shares how she uses the vagal nerve stimulator, more commonly known as VNS. Dr. Hurd, thank you so much for coming to chat with us today. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. We got a little bit of your bio from that intro, but um, what made you decide to go into epilepsy? Um, so going into medicine was something that I sort of always sort of thought about ever since I was young. My mom was sick growing up and I saw how doctors sort of influenced our life whenever it made my mom feel better, the whole house felt better. Um, but then I ended up um, being born here in Chicago, grew up in Texas, but came back for medical school. So I went to University of Chicago for medical school. Between your first and second year of medical school, you have to do a, um, a research project. And so I felt like I had seen other things, but I had never seen a seizure. And whenever I got into my clinicals, which is the third and fourth year, I wanted to make sure that I had seen a seizure before. And so I did my research in epilepsy. It was in a lab with Dr. Marcuselli. He happened to be my role model and the whole reason that I happened to be an epileptologist. Well, we're a little partial to him in our family I'm as sure well. You are. <laughs> He's my daughter's doctor. So you're here to talk to us today about um, vagal nerve stimulators, the VNS therapy um, as a treatment for seizures. Um, can you explain the device to us and, and how it works? So the vagal nerve stimulator happens to be a non-invasive um, sort of procedure that can be done as an outpatient. It's a non-open um, brain surgery. It happens to have a coil that sort of wraps around the vagus nerve um, and they have a generator they sort of place on the left side in the like maybe a couple of inches below the clavicle. Okay, and so you have, um, you brought some of them here today. So um, the, the device goes um, just underneath the skin and then there are wires that come up and connect to the, the vagus, vagus nerve. nerve. Which happens to be in the neck. Yes. Okay, and why does it work? So it ends up um, targeting the vagus nerves. The vagus nerves then sort of connects to the brain and sort of sends um, amounts of energy that happens to be treatment amounts of energy to sort of combat the seizure, which is an additional aberrant amount of energy to sort of stop the seizures. And how does it know when to work? <laughs> and so it has great configurations um, in which it sort of has a time frame at which it comes on. And then it has a time frame at which it gives the amount of energy. Um, so it can be, you know, 30 seconds. It could be up to a minute. Um, and then we go up on the amount of energy in milliamps until we get to a therapeutic amount. Therapeutic is usually about 1.5 milliamps. And then that's whenever we start to notice that as it cycles every five minutes, that you'll start to notice that the seizure frequency will start to go down. Ah, I see. So it is um, it is triggering the vagus nerve at you know at whatever every five minutes or I'm sure whatever you set that to be at. Yep. Now, is it the kind of thing where if someone feels a seizure coming on that they can they can trigger it to try and stop the seizure? Great question. So they have a, a device, what's called a magnet. It looks very similar to an Apple Watch. So it's a large device that, um, that you can put on like an Apple Watch or you can wear it around your neck. Okay. Um, and you can trigger it by um, swiping it. So I usually will say, you know, put a W across the, the actual stimulator that activates it, sending an extra jolt of energy that's usually about 0.5 milliamps larger than the normal uh, routine amount. Okay. And then 
how in the world did they figure out that this worked? Do you have any idea? No, not really, but we definitely noticed that um, the vagus nerve is one of the cranial nerves. Okay. Um, and so this is one of the ones that happens to come you know, out of the brain and we have easy access to. So is there a way in which we can sort of get to the brain without it actually being a um, open brain surgery? So this device isn't in the brain, but I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I've seen similar devices that can be placed on the brain. What is the difference between those two? Okay, so the other um, device that can be placed in the brain that you leave and you sort of live with is something called NeuroPace. Okay. It's a responsive device that you actually place in the brain. It's a brain surgery that sort of lies within the skull itself. Okay, so two completely different devices. Correct. How is the VNS powered? So it has a battery. The battery life can last anywhere from five to 10 years. Usually about seven to eight years is usually the battery life for most. Obviously it could be shorter if we're sort of doing the, um, the times in which the cycling happens much more frequently than five minutes um, and can last up to 10 years. And so what happens when the battery runs out? Because this is under your skin. It's not like, you know, the, the remote control where you can just pop new batteries in. This yeah. is a little more invasive. Well, not so much. So um, there is gonna be, you know, the vagal nerve stimulator generator is gonna be under the skin. And so they make a small incision where it's at. It's sort of placed in a pocket. They remove the um, generator from out of that pocket and slide in a new generator. So again, it's a daytime procedure, so it's not anything you have to be in the hospital for. You get it done, you put in a new battery, then you get to go home. Oh, wow. And so is the, um, how long does that procedure take, both you know, that initial procedure and then you know, switching the, the generator out? Yeah, so it usually is a daytime procedure. So you know, maybe a couple of hours that you may be there. Um, you'll leave the hospital at that time and then you'll return to see an epileptologist like myself. We'll turn it on and start to get you up to the appropriate therapeutic dose of the um, energy uh, every two weeks. And how long typically does that process take to get from, um, you know, the device's place to therapeutic? Because I know, you know, with prescription drugs, it can take, you know, weeks or months with some of these drugs to get up to a fully ther therapeutic level. So it's not, you know, you just right. get going. Um, what is that process like um, with this device. So you'll get the surgery, you'll leave, two weeks later you'll come to the office, um, and then we'll sort of give you a sub-therapeutic dose, but a dose that sort of allows your body to get used to this now new energy that's gonna happen every five minutes. Um, so about maybe four to six weeks, you should be at a therapeutic dose. Obviously it could be that um, it takes a little bit longer if you have any side effects. Some of the side effects include like hoarseness of your voice, because um, it's not far from the nerve that sort of deals with the voice, um, cough, some people will complain of shortness of breath, and then sometimes people will sort of um, feel like a, a humming or the change in the character of their voice. And are there, um, I was gonna be, my next question was gonna be the side effects, because I hear you saying the word dose mm -hmm. at the exact same way that we would talk about a pharmaceutical med. Exactly. Um, and we all know that the pharmaceutical meds come with, um, with their uh, fun array of side effects. Mm -hmm. um, are there any other more severe side effects or, you know, scratchy voice and a cough? I mean, can it get to the point where it's so uncomfortable that someone might have it removed? What, um, what have you seen in your experience? Yeah, not too often that I see somebody actually has it removed. Some people will find that they find the, um, the hoarseness to be too much for them or the cough or the tickle in their throat to sort of be something that's a little bit annoying. Usually we'll go back down on the dose, um, sort of allow them to get used to that and then try mm -hmm. to go up again. Okay. Who is a good candidate to try the VNS therapy? 
So um, the great thing is that it's been FDA approved for kids that are four and older. Um, it's happy, happily done for kids that have intractable epilepsy. Um, so kids that have already been on a couple of medications, um, usually they're sort of better to be um, sort of started on the VNS. Um, it's something that you sort of add to their treatment of their medications. And um, oftentimes you'll start to notice a decrease in their seizure frequency um, after several months. And you know, so you mentioned children, but this can be used in adults as well. Definitely, definitely. So it just starts off in children and always goes all the way up to adults. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. Do you want to know about new discoveries in epilepsy research? Read the latest research insights at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. Have there been any research studies? Are there certain types of seizures that it does a better job of controlling, or is it just sort of a, a blanket treatment for all seizures? So um, a blanket treatment for most seizures. Um, oftentimes we'll use it for focal seizures as well as um, generalized seizures. Um, the focal seizures, sometimes we try to use the actual um, resective surgery, you know, okay. the actual invasive brain surgery to try to remove that defective area of brain to try to see if that truly can be the cure for mm -hmm. that person's epilepsy. And um, so you mentioned that it is FDA approved for patients four years and older. Mm -hmm. um, has it been used in younger patients? It's definitely been used in younger patients. So kids that um, happen to have you know, very intractable epilepsy, we do try to put the, um, the generator in. Oftentimes it's sort of dependent upon their size as well as the amount of subcutaneous tissue that they have in the area in which the generator would sit. And what does that tissue mean? <laughs> <laughs> the, the tissue that happens to be right below the skin. So they okay. need to be sort of, you know, fat enough okay. to where we can find a pocket. So those chunky babies, yes. those, those ones. Yeah, those, the little those cute. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> those are the it ones we like. It works well with those. And you brought a couple with you today. And um, uh, apologies for those listening in that you're not able to see these. But I would say one is the size of like slightly bigger than a silver dollar. Mm -hmm. um, and you know. Maybe thick as two or three. Thick as two or three. And um, and so would this one be, I mean, cause I can't imagine something this large being placed in my daughter. Um, she's three years old and um, I mean, that it would just, you know, take up such a large portion. So you did bring a smaller version, which is more of an oval shape, probably about half the size of the other one, but the same thickness. So is, would this be more of a pediatric size version? So both of them happen to be pediatric size. This happens to be the older model. The smaller one happens to be the newer model. Okay. They have different... Um, different features that make them sort of different. But now, for the most part, because the newer model happens to be smaller and has many more free features, that's the model that will be in most kids moving forward or people moving forward. Got it. And and what are the difference, what are the, the different features that make them make them different, right? So we have the Aspire, which is um, the Model 106. So the Model 106 has the ability to have um, heart track monitoring. So as you know, whenever many kids have, or people have seizures, sometimes their heart rate goes up. Yeah, that happens with my daughter. Right, and so um, what we end up doing is sort of calibrating the normal heart rate for the person, and then identifying the 40%, 30%, or 20% increase in their heart rate, and then this will automatically go off. Oh. So that's called the auto stem feature. Wow, okay. And so sometimes that'll sort of capture some of the seizures before they actually happen. Okay. And as soon as the heart rate goes up, it'll sort of send a, um, a treatment dose of, of um, energy, okay. thereby sort of stopping some of the seizures. Okay. It already have the, um, the regulated sort of routine amount that comes out every five minutes. And then you have the opportunity to swipe with your magnet that gives many of the caretakers a lot of autonomy to stop the seizures whenever they happen. Okay, and that's amazing to think of because I, as you were talking about this, you know, 
for, you know, some people have auras or mm -hmm. they can feel that seizure coming on or the very beginning stages of it. And they can communicate that assuming that they're verbal. Yes. But for children who seizures have made um, nonverbal, like my daughter, there's no way that she can tell me that she feels something coming on, but we have her constantly connected to a pulse oximeter which monitors her heart rate. So we can kind of look at that and we see as her heart rate starts to go up, everyone kind of goes on alert to keep an eye out for when that seizure is going to happen and that would be a time where we could swipe. Right. Or it would capture it itself and you wouldn't actually have to do anything. Right. And so you can just change the, um, the percentage of the uh, heart rate where it's 40% increase, 20 or 10% increase, and then it would automatically give that um, extra delivery of energy at that time. Okay. What are some of the other really cool things? I had no idea that they <laughs> they had all of these other cool features. What what else should we know about them? So um, the Centiva, which is the happens to be the more um, recent one, um, happens to have AM and PM dosing. And so sometimes kids will have more seizures during the day, and sometimes they'll have more seizures whenever they're sleeping in at night. And so it allows you to give a different dose of energy during the AM hours versus the PM hours, depending on when the frequency of their seizures may be. Um, sometimes you have something called frontal lobe um, nocturnal epilepsy, so happens mm -hmm. nocturnally at night. And so then you can give additional doses of energy at night. This is obviously during the time in which they're less active. Um, some of the side effects like hoarseness and cough obviously will not be as bothersome to them because they're sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, and then the Centiva um, new model also has the ability to sort of detect if their patient is prone whenever they're happening to you know, be sleeping. And as you know, sometimes the prone position is oftentimes the cause of SUDEP, mm -hmm. um, so sudden unexplained death in epilepsy patients. And it sort of gives us a general idea when they happen to be prone, mm -hmm. and then that can sort of turn into a way in which we can prevent the death of these epilepsy patients. Amazing. So you talk about these different settings. How do you adjust these settings if it's inside the body? I mean, I'm looking at these, they're smooth. There's no like buttons or dials on these, obviously. So how, how are you adjusting? So just like um, somebody that may have a pacemaker, you can sort of feel the pacemaker. You can feel these just below the skin. And there's a wand that we use and a wand sort of activates the, um, the generator. Okay. And there we can make setting changes. So nothing that you feel, it's not any um, sort of piercings or any type of punctures to the skin. We just sort of put it over the, um, the d device itself. So what have you seen as the success rate for using this? You know, I, I imagine that it sort of varies, but you know, have people achieved seizure freedom using the VNS? And are there some people that it just doesn't work for at all? What, you know, what can someone expect going into this? So you can expect a, re a reduction in your seizures with the VNS. You can expect that um, that reduction may happen, you know, six, six months, a year, two years down the line. So as you're sort of in, with the device in, longer periods of time, you start to see a continued improvement in the reduction of your seizures. Furthermore, as your seizures sort of are reduced, you'll find that you'll be able to sometimes reduce your, um, your oral medications. And even further than that, oftentimes it gives you a lot more um, independence. Just because you, as the patient that happens to have the epilepsy, you sort of know that you not only have the generator mm -hmm. sort of um, giving you that jolt of energy every five minutes, but you also have the, um, the auto detection. And then for other caretakers that are around you, they have the op autonomy to actually stop the, the seizure if you happen to have one. But you have to be patient. I mean, because you're talking, you know, six months to two years once it's placed for you to see that difference in seizure activity. That's a that can be a long time to um, to wait to see a difference. That's it's interesting to me that um, 
do they know why that is? Why it can take so long to see that um, that reduction in seizures? So the thought process is mainly built on uh, the fact that you're sort of changing the energy level and you're sort of trying to auto-modulate the, the brain waves in a way in which the now new jolts of energy sort of reduces the abnormal amount of energy that causes these seizures. Okay. So at what point over the course of uh, a patient's treatment plan would you sit down with them and recommend this piece of equipment? So oftentimes I'll recommend it for kids that are having very long seizures, seizures that are, happen to be much more clinical mm -hmm. and seizures that happen to be intractable, meaning they've already tried two or more medications and still are having very frequent seizures. Um, is it, do you, has anyone found a difference in the efficacy um, for the cause of the person's seizures? For example, whether it is uh, a genetic cause, whether it is a brain malformation or um, it is post-traumatic uh, cause of the epilepsy? No, it doesn't really fully matter. You know, the true cause of their epilepsy could be genetic, it could be post-traumatic, it could be due, for, due to a brain malformation. Um, the main thing is just trying to get an additional jolt of energy, like I say, through the vagus nerve, decide to see if they can combat the um, seizures that may be happening. It, it really seems to me that this device can help such a large swath of the epilepsy population. Um, why is it not used more frequently? So I think it's sort of personality of the patient and personality of the caretakers. Sometimes they don't want to go through a surgery and prefer to continue with medication. Um, sometimes the um, actual placement of the device may be um, too much for their body habitus and they may not have the, enough um, fat tissue to sort of stick it there. Okay. Um, and then if the um, if there's a little bit of um, hesitation there, then we sort of wait and sort of reintroduce it a little bit later. Dr. Hurd, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us and teaching us all things VNS. I just, um, I know I learned so much today about this device and I thought I, I knew I was pretty educated on it. So um, we really do appreciate that. And as always, I love to take a moment just to thank all of our pediatric epileptologists out there. We love what you do and, and keep doing it. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Thank you again, Dr. Hurd, for explaining more about how the VNS works. This leading edge device is a great tool helping many patients in the fight against epilepsy. Unfortunately, VNS does not work on everyone, which is why we need more than one approach to help treat epilepsy. To help with that mission, we ask you to donate to Cure to fund more patient-focused research. Visit seizinglife.org forward slash donate. No gift is too small. We appreciate your generosity. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.